Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here in the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you give them a call. Visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Mark Schulman, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current world events. Larry Reed is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. And we'll visit with Jonathan Butcher. He's the Will Skillman Fellow in Education at the Heritage Foundation. Should be an interesting conversation with Jonathan. It is October the 25th, and on this day in 1929, during the Teapot Dome scandal, Albert B. Fall, who served as Secretary of the Interior in President Warren G. Harding's cabinet, was found guilty of accepting a bribe while in office. Fall was the first individual to be convicted of a crime committed while a presidential cabinet member. As a member of President Harding's corruption-ridden cabinet in the early 20s, Fall accepted a $100,000 interest-free loan from Edward Doheny of a Pan American Petroleum and Transport Company, who wanted Fall to grant him a firm, his firm a valuable oil lease in Elk Hills Naval Oil Reserve in California. The site, along with the Teapot Dome Naval Oil Reserve in Wyoming, had been previously transferred to the Department of Interior on the urging of Fall who evidently realized the personal gains he could achieve by leasing the land to private corporations. On October uh, 1923, the Senate Public Lands Committee launched an investigation that revealed not only the $100,000 bribe that Fall received for Doney during the Harry Sinclair, uh, <clears throat> but also that Harry Sinclair, that name sounds familiar, president of Mammoth Oil, had given him some $300,000 in government bonds and cash in exchange for use of the Teapot Dome Oil Reserve in Wyoming. In 1927, the oil fields were restored to the U.S. government by a Supreme Court decision. Two years later, Fall was convicted of bribery and sentenced to one year in prison and a fine of $100,000. Doney escaped conviction, but Sinclair was in prison for contempt of Congress and jury tampering. Warren G. Harding Administration, one of the most corrupt in uh, American history. All those those things seem to pale by comparison to what's going on with Hunter Biden, but that's another story. The do- dominant story in the U.S. economy right now is the worsening of the supply chain disruption. Far from easing following President Trump's announcement, or Biden's Trump uh, announcement of an agreement to extend port hours, the congestion of the Port of Los Angeles and Port of Long Beach grew from 97 to 100 ships uh, and more. Auto production, which was expected to pick up at the last half of the year, has continued to fall. Analysts blame COVID outbreaks in Asia, which forced some parts of the semiconductor supply chain to shut down. The huge consumer product giants, Unilever and Product and Gamble, uh, announced plans to raise prices and even ration some items because production has been limited by lack of raw materials. Data from IHS Market says on Friday that uh, October has seen a record rise in backlogs of work as firms struggled to meet demand due to supply chain bottlenecks and labor shortages, in turn driving the steepest rise in prices yet recorded by the survey. The last point is perhaps the most important. Inflation, which is expected to fade into a closing months of 2021, is once again surging. The price of used cars, which 
led the earlier round of inflation is soaring. The Mannheim Wholesale Used Car Index recorded an 8% rise in the first weeks of October, up from 3% in September. The Cleveland's Fed inflation uh, now cast is reading core CPI at 0.33% on a monthly basis and 4.3% annually compared to with 0.2% and 4% in September. The public has been ill-prepared for what might be called the equivalent of a Delta variant inflation because the White House and the Federal Reserve insisted that inflation was on its way out. This unanticipated setback has a similar depressing effect on consumer confidence as the resurgent virus has. Next week, the government will release data on PCE price inflation, the Fed's favorite gauge. The Wall Street consensus is for the core PCE to inflation to be rise at 3.7%. Uh, I would guess that's going to be low. <clears throat> well, firefighter pandemic dispatcher and EMT morale in Florida's fifth most populous county is so low due to uh, the vaccine mandate that public safety is being compromised, first responders say. About 500 of the men and women who fight fires and rush to medical 911 calls are receiving written reprimands in their employment files for refusing to take the vaccine for the CCP. Communist Party virus, commonly known as the novel coronavirus. Many say the fear of the vaccine because they've responded to daily calls to homes of people who've been seriously harmed or died shortly after the injection, says a spokesman for the group, firefighter Jason Wheat. Others object because they feel they should have a right to choose uh, what to put in their bodies or have religious objections. Resulting in fighting over who's been vaccinated and who hasn't is causing much strife within the department that many first responders are distracted, stressed, and able to work well as a team. The Epic Times spoke uh, with another firefighter, a lieutenant, and a firefighter who is married to another firefighter, all described intense pressure at work that has brought about exhaustion, depression, family troubles, harassment, and a frightening lack of cooperation and teamwork. To express dismay about Three recent suicides among department workers. They blame the stress that has plagued the department since the pandemic began. In a further show of support uh, from the state, Governor Ron DeSantis and other state officials held a news conference where the chief fired for insubordination and others from Orange County. Your right to earn a, you have a right to earn a living. It should not be contingent upon COVID shots, he said. When the vaccines first came out, we worked very hard to prove it, provide it, particularly to our elderly. Uh, we said from day one, we will make it available for all, but we will not mandate it on for any because ultimately we want individuals to make the determinations about what, what's right for them. I want a state where people are able to maintain their livelihoods, earn a living, and provide for their families. And if the federal government or big corporations are hurting people, then we have a responsibility to step up and lead, he said. Later in the day, at a press briefing, Orange County Mayor Demings struck back, accusing the governor of trying to uh, of using firefighters to create political theater. What a dope! The mayor's wife is uh, U.S. Representative Val Demings, a former Orlando police chief who is challenging Florida's Senator Marco Rubio, a Republican. The mayor's son, Antonio Demings, works for Orange County Fire Rescue as the chief of safety and wellness. If you ask me what my response is to the governor or anyone else, Mayor Demings said. I say these simple words, bring it on. <laughs> Mayor Demings, you don't know who you're messing with. Uh, frankly, I, I'm just, I, this I think is the major reason why the governor's decided to call a special session of the legislature 
to do something about this very situation. In any event, President Biden said he's uh, not for uh, for uh, un- defunding the police, but that's exactly what this is, isn't it? I mean, you see firefighters and policemen who are being let go after serving for a year of pandemic or more. Now they're losing their jobs. Seems to me like this is just like defunding the police. Barack Obama campaigned for Virginia governor, uh, Democrat gubernatorial candidate Terry McAuliffe on Saturday. He attacked Trump supporters as insurrectionists and repeated the same boring Democratic talk points in his 30-minute speech on Saturday. He said Trump supporters are the biggest threat to our democracy, he said. At one point, Obama shuddered as he attacked uh, Republican candidate Glenn Youngkin. Obama became angrier and angrier as he got towards the end of the speech. I listened to it. He did get pretty angry. We ain't got time to be tired, he says. He wants to go out and knock on doors and make sure that Young, uh, that uh, McAuliffe wins. Seems to me that McAuliffe is pretty concerned right now bringing out the big guns, Barack Obama, for the gubernatorial race in Virginia. Well, the Wall Street Journal has published internal material from anonymous sources as Facebook revealing company introduced tools that suppress the traffic of Breitbart News by 20% and other conservative publishers by double-digit margins. The company introduced two tools after the 2016 election that disproportionately harmed conservative publishers. The journal highlights internal Facebook research showing that if both tools were removed, it would increase traffic, for example, Breitbart by 20%, the Washington Times by 18%, the Western Journal by 16% and Epoch Times by 11%. Facebook eventually removed one of the tools while keeping the other, but it's unclear which of them had the most uh, impact on traffic. It's a racial justice chat board in the wake of the George Floyd riots last summer. Pro-censorship Facebook employees complained that Breitbart News painted Black Lives Matter in a very negative light. Oh, you think? But did not show any evidence that Breitbart News reported was false or inaccurate. It was not the quality or accuracy of these stories that concerned the Facebook employees. On the contrary, the Facebook employee who upset was upset by the information was accurate. The uh, Breitbart News uh, dared bring it to public attention, despite being true, and indeed, because they were true, the stories painted Black Lives Matter in a very negative light. The unspoken assumption behind the Facebook employees' argument is that the news organizations that do not deliberately downplay or ignore stories that make Black Lives Matter look bad should not be allowed on the news tab. <clears throat> Although Mike Zuckerberg has uh, told Congress the broad changes in Facebook policies are not designed to censor conservatives, well, they are. They certainly do. The censorship has to go, and especially against uh, all news should be reported. The segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of historycentral.com. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network.
I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabees Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabees Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabees Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its best. And you can get tickets right now by visiting the website, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jonathan Butcher from the Heritage Foundation. Right now, we have Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com, a multimedia website Terrific for kids of all ages, including you and I. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. So we'll pick up here on uh, World News as we do every Monday morning, and let's start off with events developing in Sudan. Right, so we have a military takeover. Um, Sudan was heading for democracy. The military was part of the government, and now they've seized power, arrested the prime minister and all the civilian government. They claim, like most military dictators, when they take over, they just did it to save democracy, and they'll have elections in July of 2022. 23, excuse me. So, uh, what can I say? There are parts of the world where the military just is not capable of of loosening power. Look, we saw this in Myanmar. I think, didn't it, if I'm not mistaken, Sudan uh, was actually a military hunt at one point. They had elections a couple of years back, and now they've just decided, whoop, this hasn't worked out like we planned. Right, very much so. Yeah. Same thing, like, same thing happened in Myanmar. The military, um, they like being in control, and they think they're better than everybody else, I guess, to some extent. They don't want to take orders from civilians. And, you know, thankfully, the United States has always had a very clear... Uh, 
clear hierarchy and civilian control of the military was always a key factor in American history since the very beginning, obviously. Yeah, conceptually just so important. And we've seen how this has failed across the globe in so many different instances. So we'll, uh, I guess the U.N. is up in arms about what's going on in Sudan, but we'll see how this develops. Am right, the U.S. is you know, threatened to cut off aid. We'll see what develops. But, you know, not a good development, let's put it that way, in the overall... You know, good good versus bad in the world. This is a bad a bad event. Absolutely. Let's uh, let's move to uh, China. What's going on in China? So China, we're continuing the the real estate firm that was in trouble. Evergrade made made a bond payment, but they don't know if it's going to be able to continue. The government seems to have helped them out. But overall, it's really a you know the Chinese economy is in trouble. You know, we've never really quite believed the numbers that they've. They've shown over the years. No one's quite understood them, um, but their demographic demography is catching up, and you know, demography is often uh, the most important factor in any of these things. And demography in, in China means the number of people in the workforce goes down every year. Yeah, because of the one-child policy way back when. Um, right now, every single year, there are less and less Chinese of working age. And the matter is, they've also, at this point, basically taken all the people they can from the rural towns and villages, the cities, hmm. and there's no more workforce available. So this has a major impact on, on their ability to keep on growing. Now, you could recalibrate and understand we're not going to grow as much anymore, but the Chinese don't seem to be willing to do that either. So it's an interesting situation. Yeah. Does, um, does the Chinese... I, I remind everybody... It's the 1980s when we thought the Japanese were going to own us, right? Right, right. People remember that. And then look what happened. Uh, they ended up with some you know, real estate that didn't end up being valued what they thought. And you know, The Japanese are, are in the same sort of trouble in a way because of demography. The Japanese have, this, have the lowest birth rate um, in the world other than China under one, one child. And they have an aging society and they can't grow anymore. So China, and though, they don't allow any immigrants whatsoever. Right. So the 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 issue is, uh, the, I I don't know how much respect there is for financial integrity in China, but they can continue to print money. They have a lot of ways to deal with the situation. Uh, not that uh, necessarily people have a lot of trust in it, but uh, they can continue to print money and do things to to help alleviate the situation, can't they? Up to a point, but you know, at some point there's a real economy, and you can print as much money as you want, but that brings about inflation, obviously. Right. And so that's not good for you know. Look, the Chinese want, the Chinese government, the communist, whatever you want to call them, communists are not communists, but the autocratic government of China has sort of made a deal. You don't, you the people, don't get involved in politics. We'll make sure that the economy keeps on growing, and you keep on getting better off and better off every year. Mm-hmm. If they can't maintain that fundamental deal, they're in trouble. Yeah. So that's that's that's, that's why I one of the things you know I'm I'm not one of these people who downplay the threat of China, but I also think we sometimes overhype it. Hmm. So we need to find the right balance between understanding the fact that they're a major competitor, and you know both militarily and in other in other ways, but on the other hand, they haven't managed to produce the latest generation of microchips at all. And one of the interesting things, of course, is that um, they are as dependent as everybody else on the microchips that are produced in Taiwan. So it's a very interesting situation. 
Well, of course, they, the rare earths now are being produced by China, and they have so much control of production of things like pharmaceuticals, apparently, here in the United States. They do have some power over the world in, in a lot of different ways. Yeah, but, you know, COVID sort of, in some ways, undermined them because the rest of the world realized that no one wants to be dependent on one source of anything. Right. And I think we're seeing more and more attempts to diversify supply chains, to bring some of the supply chain back to the United States and other parts of the world. So I think, you know, COVID undermi you know, undermined that whole situation. Number two, of course, China is for at least the last five or ten years, practically, is no longer the low-cost low producer. Yeah. Low-cost producers are in Vietnam, in Laos, uh, in Bangladesh, and other places. So their competitive advantage of being a low-cost producer is no longer there. No longer there. Uh, speaking of China, let's. Uh, what are your thoughts now on uh, the possibility of China invading Taiwan at this point? Uh, it's, it seems I think they went down by President <clears throat> Biden saying that we will defend Taiwan. <clears throat> and then he walked it back a little bit because the new policy. But you know, again, like I said the other week, the more the Chinese think that if they do it, the United States will get directly involved less likely they are to actually do it. And uh, um, Taiwan's and course, doing like Yeah, Taiwan's doing its own saber rattling too. Well, they want to stay independent obviously. Right. Um, and I keep in mind that other little factor I mentioned, the fact of the matter is the Chinese economy is as dependent as everybody else on the production of um, the semiconductor firms in Taiwan. Mm -hmm. TMC particularly, they are the ones who are producing the most advanced semiconductors in the world. And China is just as dependent as everybody else on those semiconductors. And if they invade Taiwan, that will go away. Interesting. So, so uh, I, the uh, supply chain is a problem here in the United States, but I understand it's even more severe in Great Britain. Much, much more severe in Britain. Britain, look, all of the, th all of the concerns that people had about Brexit are coming true right now because the supply chain has been completely disrupted um, in, in Great Britain. They lost... 50 or 60,000 truck drivers who went back to their various countries in the EU um, during COVID. And of course, now they're not, you know, even though Britain is offering visas uh, for these people to come back, they're not interested in coming back. They said, you don't want us, we can find work somewhere else. And that's really what's happened. And so Great Britain is talking about calling up the military to take over the job of truck drivery, you know, because literally goods aren't moving from place to place mm. uh, at that level. You know, it's, it's as if Walmart's, um, the, you know, Walmart's um, trucking system that they bring things from major warehouses to the stores, etc., just stop working, or Amazon stop working. And so, really, people are really feeling the the effects of Brexit, and um, it's weighing down on the British economy right now. Plus, of course, uh, they seem to be having another another wave of COVID, to make things more complicated. Yeah. Interesting. So, well, any comments on our uh, supply chain problems here in the United States? Uh, Governor DeSantis has uh, offered to open up the parts, or you know, just reminded people that the ports in Florida are open uh, for distribution. I wonder though if we have the truck drivers here uh, in order to take care of the. We still have a, we have a, there's a shortage of truck drivers in the United States. Look, <clears throat> the United States needs immigrants, quite honestly, because Americans don't want to take certain jobs at this point. We're really becoming a significant problem. There are not enough truck drivers in the United States. Um, there are enough port workers because they get overpaid. Let's put it that way. But oh, yeah. they won't allow the port. The port workers 
won't allow mechanization, so American ports are not as efficient as some other ports in the world. Uh, the United States basically has three and a half ports. Uh, you know, it has it has the biggest port in the United States, of course, is Los Angeles to Long Beach, which is one big port system. There's the New York metropolitan area, which is another New Jersey, etc., is another big big system. You have um, you have large ports in in Georgia, and you have smaller ports in Florida. Um, but you're talking about massive amounts of product, and um, it's a real problem. Yeah. I think we'll see it. We'll see part of it alleviated um, because part of it will be alleviated by more th- as things get closer to Christmas. More and more companies will bring things by air, make a little less make money, but they'll get the goods here on time. Mm. So, um, look, um, life is not going to quite be the same after COVID. We'll have to get used to that. Yeah. Let's move to uh, Turkey. What's going on in Turkey? Turkey have an interesting situation. You know, Erdogan has been um, been controlling the country very much as a dictator. Um, he created four years ago a presidential system to more or less replace the parliamentary system to um, to give himself more power. Mm-hmm. And now what you have happened is all of the opposition groups who have always been divided. That's part of Erdogan's secret have now united into a united front to try to unseat Erdogan. And so this may be his biggest challenge yet, is the fact that all of the opposition, and regardless of their ideological views, which spread a whole range of ideological views, mm-hmm. have united in saying that a time has come to, to end the one-man rule of Erdogan. So we'll have to see how that develops. Interesting. It's just uh, so interesting. I, I couldn't. Another uh, example, though, of uh, wanting to seize power. <laughs> it is an aphrodisiac, isn't it? It's unbelievable. Yeah, very much so. People, you know, look, people want power and they refuse to give it up. You know, we've seen that um, multiple times. We've seen that, of course, in places like here in Israel where Netanyahu refused to give up power. We see it in the United States a little bit in terms of President Trump. People just don't like giving up power and it's... Uh, you got to make sure a system. You have to have a system that a makes sure that elections are final, and b that no one can be in power forever. That's yeah. the most important thing. Term limits. Single most important thing. A single most important thing that was passed as the, the amendment to the Constitution after FDR had run for a fourth term. Yeah, it, it still leaves me to be concerned that you have the, uh, the bureaucracy in Washington D.C. who train these new congressmen and uh, senators coming in. And uh, I just uh, wonder if term limits is going to get the job done. That's a whole other story, but that's, you know, the... Look, the American Constitution has always been strong. It's been the civil religion of the United States. It's been misquoted recently a great deal. Uh, people don't understand and, and read the Constitution itself. That's that's a problem, obviously. Yes. But the Constitution has, you know, it has met the the test of time with the has. amendments that took place over the years. Understanding has. that these people wrote the Constitution in 1789 and the world was a little bit different, but the basic system has worked. Certainly has. And they certainly uh, had a context for writing the Constitution because all the fears that uh, they att- I mean, they lived through the fear <laughs> that they had with Great Britain. So uh, they certainly right. anticipated the problems that could develop. So uh, right. let's let's move to a very disturbing development with regard to Facebook. 
Right. So Facebook, I mean, there's so many disturbing developments with Facebook. But yeah. What's come out is more and more the fact that Facebook has known about its flaws and hasn't done anything about it. And let's talk about a non-controversial point, which, I mean, it's not controversial for us, but it is for the people involved. The fact that um, in countries where English is not the major language, they've sort of ignored um, hate speech and all those other things that they try to limit a little bit in the United States, but they totally don't do in places where they don't have the language, they don't have the language skills. They under, you know, Facebook is very proud of the fact that it has billions of users, but they put 80% of their efforts into the English language and 80% of the world doesn't speak English. Hmm. Interesting. And so they've been behind some of the worst sort of things. There was stories of what's happened in Myanmar and other places. Then you have the whole issue, you know, in the United States where they know the fact, they know the fact that their algorithms are problematic, but they're not willing to give them up. So the algorithms are problematic only because it sends people more and more into biased confirmation and more and more into an extreme of whatever views they have. So whether you're coming from the right or coming from the left, if you're interested in something on the right or something on the left, you'll be fed more and more uh, material that meets that view. And to keep you engaged, the algorithm will find more outrageous things, you know, further out, further left, further right. Mm -hmm. And it's quite clear at this point that Facebook partially responsible for the polarization that we've seen in the United States over the last 10 years. Now, I personally think, you know, that I wish I'd just get rid of the algorithm as a user. I hate the fact that I see the same things twice or three times instead of, I just want to get a chronological uh, view of my friend's timelines, what happened here and there. But no, Facebook decides for me what I'm going to see and what I'm not going to see. Right. And sometimes it's something interesting, but most of the times it's things that I've seen before, actually. So, you know, they, they have their, uh, you know, I, I, I think I've said this before. I think we need simple legislation, very simple. It follows two things. Number one, um, that companies cannot keep personal information on you, period. End of story. No personal information may be kept by any, any organization except in the function of collecting money from you. So obviously you need your credit card and all that information to, to buy something. Number two, Everybody should have the option of opting out of whatever algorithms the company wishes. You can choose very clearly. I want your algorithmic presentation. Or I don't want algorithms at all. I want to just see whatever is out there. Mm -hmm. um, and that would solve 60% of the problem, at least. Mm. Doesn't require, you know, months of hearings. Doesn't require complicated laws. Just two very simple things. Yeah, I mean, what do you think about the 230 immunity? In other words, the protection that they have. So I think 230 immunity needs to be um, changed to some extent. In other words, here's where I think it becomes the problem. I think, and it goes back to algorithms, right? Mm -hmm. They should not have immunity from, in other words, if I post something and it, there's no, no algorithm takes what I, what I post and pushes it out to more and more people, then they shouldn't be responsible for what I post if it's, you know. If, on the other hand, I post something inflammatory or false or whatever else, and their algorithm decides to, to, to present that to as many people as possible, then they should have responsibility for that. And so when they function as a publisher in promoting a particular content, then they should not have immunity. If they're just a platform where I place something and you know it just sits in my timeline, then I think 
um, they can maintain their 230 immunity. Again, the other problem, of course, always with removing 230 immunity is obviously Facebook and Google and Twitter have the financial wherewithal to protect themselves and find the you know the right balance. But some smaller sites obviously won't have that that ability. Yeah. I think, so, I think that's just it. It just is disturbing to think that uh, the the traffic in some conservative sites like Breitbart could be down as much as twenty percent because of the algor- algorithms that are being and and it's simply because of pointing out the fact that Black Lives Matter com- uh, committed uh, uh, atrocities in different cities across the United States. They didn't like it at Facebook, and so they decided to limit the amount of its its uh, ex- uh, exposure. That Breitbart and other sites uh, uh, had. Yeah, but they don't understand something that the, the conservative sites get eighty have the top eight sites on eight of the top ten sites on Facebook are right wing sites. So, you know, you can make that argument, but it doesn't really hold up in in that sense. Again, I just think get rid of the algorithms. Yep. Uh, therefore, we won't have this problem at all. You know, we we can argue back and forth. Is Facebook pushing right wing versus left wing, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure some, you know, one person can bring you know this much information, and I can prove it this way, and he can move it that way, and we can argue about that forever. Let's yeah. just solve the problem. Yeah, I get agree. rid of the algorithm. I agree. Then it won't be an issue. Yeah, I agree. I absolutely agree. And uh, don't allow them to sell information about. Uh, no, as you pointed out, though, don't even let them con- connect or connect uh, or collect information about us. I think is the first step would be uh, really right. smart. That, why should they be allowed to collect this information? Why should they be able to track me across websites? You know, the, the stock of Snap went down because Apple has given a... The, in order for to allow people to track you across different websites from apps, it's now allow in as opposed to allow out. Mm-hmm. So Apple asks you on a new iPhone, do you want to allow people to uh, track you across different different apps? And 70% of the people say no. Um, so people don't want to be tracked. Right. Absolutely. Mark Schulman, again, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. I encourage you to visit HistoryCentral.com. It's great for kids of all ages. Mark, I really appreciate uh, your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great week, Bob. You, you and your listeners. You as well. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Reed. Larry is the president emeritus of a terrific organization. It's the foundation for economic education. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples.
Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social, a new refreshing social networking platform. You can find out more by downloading the app from the Choice Social uh, website. ChoiceSocial.us is the website. Coming up, Jonathan Butcher from the uh, Heritage Foundation. Right now we have Larry Reed. He is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, my pleasure, Bob. Thank you. Uh, could you tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education? Okay. We're a privately funded organization, uh, educational in nature. Our focus is on high school and college students and our purpose is to educate and inspire them in ideas of individual liberty, free markets and free enterprise, limited government and personal character. We do that through the very robust website that we have, fee.org, and also through in-person events and online events uh, all over the world. Terrific organization. I've been to the national conferences before at uh, the Foundation for Economic Education. They are inspiring to see young people, so it's excited about liberty. And if you have somebody at that age, college or high school age, I hope you'll introduce them right down the website and introduce them to uh, FEE.org. So, Larry, there's a couple of people you'd like to be related to. Their name, Reed, Joseph, and Esther. Maybe you can tell us about it. Okay. Yeah, I wish my knowledge of genealogy was more extensive than it is. I've only been able to trace my uh, family back to the early 1800s. But uh, a little bit before that, there were some reeds in Pennsylvania, my native state, uh, who made quite a splash uh, on behalf of the American cause during the war uh, with Great Britain uh, that began in 1775. Joseph Reed... Uh, was an aide-de-camp uh, or top advisor to General George Washington. And, uh, and in the year 1778, uh, while he held that position with Washington, he was also elected uh, both to Congress and uh, effectively governor of Pennsylvania. It wasn't called that at the time. It was called president, but he was effectively the first governor of Pennsylvania. But his wife, Esther, whom he married in London in 1770, is even more fascinating because she led the largest private fundraising campaign for American soldiers during the Revolutionary War. Amazing. And she raised a lot of money, especially in terms of today's dollar. Yes, she did. Uh, she raised $300,000, which roughly 
is equivalent to $6 million today, and she did it in a matter of months with the help of Benjamin Franklin's daughter, Sarah. The two of them uh, went door to door and wrote letters and (laughs) raised a ton of money. And the funny thing is, uh, uh, Esther Reed wanted to give the money at a rate of $2 per soldier to the soldiers themselves. That doesn't sound like much, but it was a lot more then than it is today. And uh, there are letters that I found uh, that um, are online uh, between her and General Washington. Washington was very grateful for what she had done, but he said, I don't think we should give the money directly to the troops because some of the men might spend it on liquor. (laughs) So he said to her, why don't you instead use the money to buy cloth and uh, bring on some volunteers and sew uh, shirts and other articles of clothing for the soldiers. That's what they desperately need. And so that's what she did. And the the interesting thing is she wanted the, the troops to remember that it was the ladies that did this for them. So each lady that sewed a pair of pants or a shirt uh, was asked by Esther to, in, uh, to sew in to the garment their personal names. So every soldier got a piece of... Uh, clothing that had uh, the name of the woman in it who actually sewed it for him. Yeah, just an amazing story. You think back uh, during the American Revolution, I had a privilege of reading uh, The Indispensables by uh, Patrick O'Donnell, which is really such a fascinating read because it really helps you get right into the day-to-day operations of what happened during the American Revolution. And two things stand out. First of all, gunpowder was so precious uh, but number two, they, they had, you know, there's, it, uh, that war was just soaking up all of their enterprises, soaking up so much money, soaking up their way of life uh, to, to get a shirt, for example. They didn't have shoes in some cases. They're out there walking around in, in, near the Delaware uh, in December during, the, you know, the end of the um, uh, Little Ice Age. Just amazing what these people went through. Oh, yeah, and of course they were taking the ultimate risk because they were committing treason, which was punishable uh, by death. So uh, to sign your name to the Declaration or to pick up arms against the British, that was a pretty uh, risky, daring thing to do. And when the war broke out, uh, there were probably you know, just handfuls of people in the whole world who thought that the Americans had any chance of victory. And it wasn't, I guess, until one battle, was it Yorktown? I've forgotten which one, but basically once the, that happened, the French and uh, other countries became convinced that uh, there was a chance that the, uh, or am I confusing that with the Civil War? <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, Saratoga uh, was an, an important battle the, and turning point, but uh, it was Yorktown where the war was effectively ended because the French from the sea uh, bottled up the, British uh, Navy, uh, and the Americans pressed them from land, and General Cornwallis had no choice but to surrender. Yeah, amazing story. And uh, the Reeds were great patriots and uh, really uh, walked the walk back in the day because it was not like they said nice things or wrote a pamphlet. They were really uh, doing the deal. Uh, If you can imagine being uh, in uh, General Washington's uh, group, I guess he was an advisor to the president. That that, yes. was, that was a difficult task at the time. Yes, and unfortunately, both Joseph and Esther died young. Uh, she died in 1780 uh, in the tenth year of their marriage, 
so she didn't live to see the successful conclusion of the war, and she was only 34 uh, when she died of dysentery. Uh, her husband Joseph lived lived a little longer, but he he died in 1785 at the age of 43. Uh, so sad indeed. But uh, again, uh, because of their actions, uh, we were able to celebrate victory and our liberty uh, today. Just unbelievable. So, are you still doing your genealogy? Well, I'm. Uh, some people saw my article and have offered some assistance. So I suspect I'll get to the bottom of this and find out if I am related uh, to the Reeds uh, of Philadelphia. Uh, I think I'll find that out within a, f a few weeks. You know, it's kind of interesting, Larry, that uh, in the scheme of things, the United States has been around a lot of years, what, 245 years, 250 years as a, as a country. Uh, but at our age, we've lived a pretty good portion of uh, American history, like 20, 25 percent. Yeah, absolutely. We are indeed a very young country. <laughs> we are indeed. Larry Reed, again, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. I hope you'll write down the website and check it out, feefee.org. Larry, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Jonathan Butcher. He is the Will Schoolman Fellow in Education at the Heritage Foundation. Certainly a lot going on on that front. Uh, here in the United States. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America and is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A perfect product of Classical Academy opened this fall and a classical virtual school, Optima Classical Academy, will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.OptimaEd.org.
Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. And that's just one of the initiatives I proudly serve on the board. And I hope you'll check out the website, thefga.org, thefga.org. We're also providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Well, as tolerance for intellectual diversity continues to narrow within the academic and public health establishments, the centers in medicine and education are facing a range of professional reprisals and censorship by peers, regulators, and, of course, big tech. The Idaho Medical Establishment targeted pathologist Ryan Cole's license to practice shortly after the medical director of America's frontier frontline doctors, which challenges COVID-19 orthodoxy, was appointed to a regional health board. The University of California is putting psychiatrist and bioethics professor Aaron Parity on unpaid leave for refusal to get vaccinated for COVID-19. The subject of his ongoing lawsuit seeking recognition of natural immunity. Apart from COVID-19, a pro-American education startup founded by a self-described deplorable professor accused YouTube of pretextually suspending its account, preventing its launch and advertisements from being seen for several days. The Idaho, Idaho Medical Association asked the Board of Medical Medicine to investigate Cole for refusing to use accepted and documented medical practices and vaccination instead of prescribed ivermectin which the FDA has misleadingly insinuated is purely a treatment for horses. In other words, as you can see, what's happening here is that uh, medicine, unfortunately, is getting politicized uh, as so many other parts of our lives. Calling Cole's views profoundly wrong and dangerous to the public, IMA said earlier this month, we believe his practice, as he described it himself, does more harm than good. It should be stopped. And, of course, nothing could be further from the truth, in my opinion. IMA CEO Suli Keller told the news of uh, the Board of Medicine hasn't responded to its complaint and his uncredited statement. BOM said it can't confirm or uh, open investigations under state law. While he's best known for calling vaccines needle rape, Cole told KTVP that his tongue-in-cheek repetition of shouted suggestions from the audience he was addressing in a statement responding to letters, Cole asked the IMA to discuss the concerns with, it, with him. Filing a complaint and threatening my license is unprofessional and sows distrust within the medical community and with patients in our state, he said. Parity uh, teaches at UC Irvine, was put on investigatory leave earlier this month for flouting the university system vaccine mandate, which he said took away half his income that uh, comes from non-academic work He's losing all of it starting November the 2nd. Can you believe that? I'm working on setting up a joint uh, or a private practice so that I can continue to treat my patients and earn an income next month. Several other UC employees contacted him who received the same notice of intent to suspend without pay. He quoted uh, from a supportive letter he received earlier uh, from a black professor and a man of the left who remained silent for one of the first times in my life because he has one lost paycheck away from economic precarity. An Indiana University immunologist who has questioned the effectiveness of masks and calls evidence for COVID interventions underwhelming has yet to face any serious threat. He just told the news 
with a caveat, give it some time. Most of my writing has been on the local paper to try to change local attitudes, and many people in town know me as or my boss, even if we are angering them, Steve Templeton wrote in his email. He recently stated a public newsletter, Fear of a micro- Microbial Planet, and of working on a book with the same title. On the other side, a clinical professor of family medicine at McMaster University saw a looming threat last year with his 2016 Canadian Medical Association journal essay got resurrected in the COVID culture war. Shane Nelson wrote that the surgical mass had no impact on Spanish flu because it was unknown that the influenza organism is nanoscopic and can be theoretically penetrate the surgical mass barrier. It is a widespread misconception that they mitigate viral transmission. Harvard Medical School epidemiologist and focus protection advocate Martin Kuldorf uh, shared the essay Sunday. Just the News asked us Nelson if he had faced professional threats for the essay since COVID. He responded by pointing to an essay he published in June on the politics of a surgical mask. While Nelson said in 2016 an essay was misappropriated on both sides of the political spectrum, he credited the development consensus that masks might reduce the spread of viral particles to others infected wearers. Nelson did not answer a subsequent inquiry. The point of this is that it's all been so politicized. Uh, and I, as you may, as I've mentioned before, I'm not giving medical advice at all, but I myself have not been vaccinated and don't choose to be for a variety of reasons, like so many of the health uh, people who've uh, answered the Medicare mix and the people that are answering 911 calls. They see some of the travesty that's happened as a result of taking the vaccine. And uh, that's why many of them don't want to, you know, they respond to people who uh, get very sick, who have a real health, health episodes as a result of the vaccine. And for, as a consequence, they personally don't want to take the, take the vaccine. And I've heard uh, similar episodes from friends of mine, even in my small circle of people that have had uh, very negative uh, responses to the vaccine. And further, right now, it turns out that people who are vaccinated are getting the coronavirus. And in fact, in some cases, may be more susceptible, according to some news sources, uh, to getting uh, the virus uh, because uh, and it's because of their uh, vaccine. So to me, I understand the, the hesitancy, but right now we have, uh, we have a, a, an assault on the freedom to express oneself. American scholar said it's to launch and receive more than 20,000 views in October. Uh, while it's just back up for four days later, Matthew Cole just told the news the damage to our multi-day campaign has been done. In other words, he had a campaign for people to see his website on YouTube, to see his uh, production, and it was thwarted because of his political medical view on the situation. And it's just uh, its just not right. It's uh, right now, we're, we're in a sad state of our culture right now when people are, their ability to express their points of view are, is being thwarted. That's very unfortunate. People being able to uh, act uh, according to their own points of view is being thwarted. We're in a sad state of affairs right now in the United States. Hopefully, uh, we'll get through this. Finally, there's just been some major breakthrough science. Uh, first of all, the U.S. nearly has 107,000 people are waiting for organ transplants. Over 90,000 of them are in need of a kidney, but getting off the wait list can take an average of at least three years, and 12 people die each day waiting for a new one. 
For decades, scientists searched for alternatives to help save human lives. They tried and failed to use animal organs, from chimps' kidneys to a baboon heart, but have made progress with pigs, whose organs are similar to humans. Now scientists reached a new milestone, successfully attaching a pig kidney to a human for the first time ever. Doctors at New York University used a genetically engineered pig for the experiment, getting rid of a sugar molecule the human bodies reject. After the green light from the patient's family and medical ethicists, they attached the kidney to a brain-dead patient blood vessels, observing it for 54 hours. Almost immediately, Doc said, it's working. Finding that the pig kidney started producing urine and waste, and the biggest success of all, the body didn't reject the organs. Doctors are now calling it a game-changer. The scientists behind the study say the experiment could mean similar trials for patients with end-stage kidney failure in the next year or two, and they could expand it to include hearts, lungs, livers, and all organs that can also have a long wait time. This is so interesting to me. So then we'll end the the show on some good news, that now there may be a breakthrough that people won't have to die waiting for kidneys and other organs of the body. Perhaps uh, these... Genetically engineered pigs can become a solution for people who have a need for an organ. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. I hope you will uh, join us tomorrow. We'll visit with Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. Boo Mortensen will be joining us. Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Cover. And, of course, my wife, Linda, will be with us as well, who writes Greetings from Paradise. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.